Right, gentlemen, welcome to another episode of The Scoop Rugby Podcast. And uh, I'm your host, Pila Bitterhout, and I'm not by myself. I've got Enda all the way from Ireland. I've got Hugh from Wales. I've got Jade all the way from Bloemfontein. Uh, Vickers will join us in a few moments. I think he's at the airport at the moment. Uh, but yeah, without wasting any time, gentlemen. Enda, how's it going in Ireland? All good, mate. All good. Uh Finally woke up since the England game, so all good here. <laughs> Fair enough. Hugh, are you are you still awake from last night's game? Am I still awake? I couldn't sleep with the uh, with the anger and the controversy and all of the things that happened in that game. Um, but we'll get into it, guys. Looking forward to it. No, fair enough. Fair enough. Hey, Vuyo. Thanks for joining. I mean, I know you are currently traveling at the moment. Uh, yeah, don't miss your flight, mate. How are things going over there? Yeah, it's all right, Blue. I'm just coming into the flight now. So, sorry, guys, man. Um, I will have to listen out and over to chat, but I'll see them down. <laughs> Crazy times. Crazy times. Jade, how's it going? Oh, guys, my eyes are sore after the Wales England game. Um, just recovering. Thank you for pain pills for my eyes, but yeah, after that, from Scotland, came back to life again, but it's going good. Oh, fair enough, fair enough. Gentlemen, uh, just to give uh, listeners just a bit of a brief as well. Guys, this is a live recording. Uh, no holds barred. Um, the listeners, you're allowed to join in and share your opinions as well. Uh, what we're going to cover today, we're going to start off by yesterday's uh, internationals. And from that, we're going to share a bit of opinion and obviously ask certain technical and technical questions looking into the World Cup as well. And then from there, we're going to chime into the... World Cup squads that have been announced in the past week. And once <clears throat> we get into the detail of that, then we look at uh, when Wales, Ireland, France, Scotland plan to announce their squads as well. And then last but not least, we look into the World Cup Group B. Last week we looked at Group A. This week we're looking at Group B. We're going to try and dissect that. Seeing Scotland uh, are in actually quite good form to be honest. Without wasting any time, I'm going to start off with Hugh. Uh, you are the Welshman living in England at the moment. Just give us your pointers or your views uh, regarding yesterday's game between England and Wales. Wow. So, um, so I won't start with the beginning because nothing really <laughs> happens until at least two thirds of the way through. Um, yeah. I think from a Welsh point of view, Obviously, people will look at the fact that we had a three-man three man advantage at one point yeah. um, and still managed to lose the game. Um, uh, interestingly, I, I looked into the, the period of time where we had the three-man advantage and um, it only lasted for five minutes. And what happened in that time was we scored a try mm -hmm. and we gave away a penalty and then England drove over from the line-out and then England were back to 13 and then 14 men again after it pretty quickly. So it's kind of, I would encourage people not to get too hung up on that if you actually go back and rewatch the replay. But still, from a, a Welsh point of view, um, I think uh, any of the members of the pack in that game will count themselves lucky to be starting against Fiji at the World Cup. I think it was uh, one to six fully Ospreys pack, although a couple of them have left now. But as of last season, that was a fully Ospreys pack. So there's, there's no excuses for how bad the line-out was. It is, it's really yeah. poor. I think 
particularly Adam Beard and Dan Lydiot need to take a lot of responsibility for that. Mm-hmm. Dan Lydiot is so experienced and is such a senior figure. And Adam Beard is, you know, steps in as captain sometimes as the line-out caller and obviously is someone that Gats has put a lot of faith in, really let themselves down um, in just how shambolic our line-out was. We lost six out of 17 line-outs. It felt like 17 out of 17. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and I think that's probably what did for us. I think, you know, away from the forwards, though, I think the back line went pretty well. Didn't see a lot of ball, but we didn't. It was in the two games against England, we haven't conceded a try in open play. Now, that might be a lot to do with England, who I'll come on to in a minute. <laughs> but I think um, Joe Roberts has really given Gatlin a headache at 13. Mm. So Gatlin said he's going to take four centres. So you'd think two 12s, two 13s. So we, he's got a pick from George North, who is the experienced, the only really experienced 13 in the squad. Mason Grady, yeah. who um, seems to be uh, favoured by Gats. He's got all of the physical attributes, but I don't think he's a natural 13. And then Joe Roberts, who's got the least experience, but I think of the three of them is the most natural 13. Um, and I think he was very composed and the way, again, a bit like Costello last week, the way that Gats was speaking about him after the game made it sound like uh, he, he is in his plans for the future. Yeah. Um, so that is that's exciting, especially from a Scarlet's point of view, to see how that's going to go. But yeah, like I said, I think from, for me, you know, if I try and put a positive spin on it, you know, we, we never should have lost that game. But um, the kind of issues, you know, the line-out... Um, you'd like to think it'll never be that bad again. Wales line-outs are never good, but my God, it can't, it can't be that bad again, surely. And we've still got our extended squad around, so we've still got um, options to what we can do with selection. Contrast that to England, where Borthwick has already nailed down his squad, yeah. and he's got <clears throat> no options in selection moving forward. This is This is England now. So I kind of want to pass it over to the rest of the group here, guys, you know. Yeah. Where do England go from here? Because they've scraped past the second-choice Wales at home. They haven't scored a try from open play. Uh, and they've got players who are playing badly, but they know won't be dropped. So you guys tell me, where, where does, what does Borthwick <laughs> do from here? We'll, we'll pass that on to Jade. Jade, are you with us? Right, guys. Let the difficult questions. <laughs> <laughs> I'll share. I'll share my views as well. You, I think you. What they do? Where do they go to from here? Is they pack their bags for only a four-week trip across the English Channel to France and expect to return <laughs> by the quarterfinals, if not sooner. Because, gosh, they also were terrible. Um, you, I, I don't know. They're still going on as if. You know, Marco Itoji is prime Marco Itoji. They're still playing players that they think is prime three or four years ago. They are, for me, there's no other team in the world that would have left them, that would have left them on the ropes after being at 12 or 12 players. There's no other team. Other team in the world would have punished them. They were lucky to get that penalty. Uh, we quickly lost got that penalty and then they scored from there. But 17 lineups well said explains what the game was. 17 lineups is a lot of lineups. Mm. That's a lot of kill in that game. Um, I don't know. I think the game changed maybe when Ford came on at playoff. He had a 
enable yeah, it put a little more structure. Then we saw Oli Lawrence made a, 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 a bust a few times. Jim Marchand was nowhere in the game. Um, Randall was nowhere. I don't know what is Baltimore's plans, guys. I I don't know. I'm, I'm struggling to understand what are they going to do. Are they hoping to hit form in the World Cup or... You know, are they hoping to get one or two players that they can piggyback off? Maybe a quarterly laws and um, the number eight. You they came on yesterday. Uh, he had a good game. Uh, is it Earls? Uh, they plays for I think plays for Saracens. Yeah. Yeah. So Earls yeah. and moved yeah. across. So Vanipola's yeah. Saracens. So Earls moved across. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He had a good game. He, he had a good run at, at eight. Um, yeah. But other than that, guys, I don't know where or how. I, I can't see anything. From pool A or pool B, that frightens me, you know, from C and D and me going on if we get to the semi-finals. I don't see anything of there. Mm-hmm. Um, a last thing I want to mention to you. You spoke about the lineouts. Um, Wales losing six lineouts. But why did they go back to making so much movement in the lineouts? I mean, should they go back to basic, speed up the game, you know, um, take the front ball in front, win a few lineouts in front and then move out to the back if you go on? Why do you keep on moving so much? That's mm-hmm. so unlike Gatlin. Because Gatlin was normally good at the set plays. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so Gatlin came out after the game and made a big deal about how frustrated he was because players didn't look like they knew their roles, but he felt that the preparation in the week, they, they should have known their roles because they focused on that. I think if you look at the team we had on by the end, because there's no doubt it got worse as the game went on, um, Beard had been sent off and he was the um, main lineup caller. Uh, Plumtree, who was the other main jumper uh, in the lineup, he'd gone off injured. Um, and Basham had gone off uh, with the HIA as well. So I think we were down to Shunza. Uh, I can't remember. It was Reese Davis had come back on after being substituted once already. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Lydiot and then Raphael were the only lineup forwards kind of in there. Um, like I say, they, there's enough experience in there to, uh, as you say, Jay, just keep it simple, get it right, catch the bloody ball, guys. But I, I kind of feel like if I'm being kind, I think probably the people who would have been calling the line out were off the pitch at that point. Um, and the guys just, their heads went and they didn't know what to do, unfortunately. All right. Assessing from the conversation now, um, do you guys feel that the last quarter or 15 minutes of that particular game it swung to England's favour. Seeing what um, Borthwick did with the forwards, especially in the front pack, I saw a major difference from the starting uh, front row and the forwards from the England side to the guys that actually finished the game. That's where England started dominating. That's where England started getting penalties. That's where England started dominating the, dominating the ruck area as well and actually managed to, to, to claw their way back into the game. I mean... Did you guys notice any difference from those scrums? Because, I mean, Gange, when he came on, England automatically or all of a sudden looked like a different team in that last 15 minutes. Your guys' thoughts? I think it, I think it was more Dan Coles than Gange, to be honest, because Dan Coles was up against um, uh, Kemsley Mathias, yeah. uh, who was come, came on for his first cap uh, and had a bit of a tough time. We also had Dylan Lewis on. Mm-hmm. Um, now... There's a lot of people in Wales who don't like Dylan Lewis because they think his scrummaging is, is a liability. I think it's a bit harsh, but I would also say he's not our strongest scrummaging tight head. Um, and then we had Shunza, 
who is a big unit uh, in the row, but I think he's more of a six than a, a second rower. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if Dan Cole's uh, at 240 or 290 years old, or however old he is now, uh, <laughs> came off the bench and saved England. I think uh, someone made the point about George Ford. I think his game management, rather than anything he did, ball in hand made yeah. a big difference. I think Dan Cole's scrummaging obviously got the scrum penalty from which George Ford kicked the penalty to put England in the lead. Yeah. Um, that that was the big difference. I think it's another case of England binning off their young players who are coming through to bring on these old guys who've been around for 15 years to come and save the day yet again. Not fair enough. Ender? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Like You, you need to look at the, the opposition and who they faced when those subs came on. Um, and just overall... Just looking at the game, I know Hugh asked, like, where do England go from here? For me, they must stick to their system. It's not pretty, but they have to stick to it. They, they've no choice, in my opinion. It's it's too late now to change their tactics. Um, so for me, like, one of the, the main things they need to focus on based on yesterday's performance and last week's performance is their basic handling skills. There were 15 unforced handling errors yesterday. There were 16 last week. Yeah. So that's certainly an, an area of focus for them. And let's not forget, yeah, this was pretty much England's first first 15 as well which is quite shocking when you when you look at the results and the fact that on paper on like realistically looking back wales should have and potentially should have won that game or could have um and one other thing just on george ford i know there's been a lot of like chat and i know we'll get onto the farrell um red card and everything and, and george ford maybe being the answer i don't think he is i know he made a difference but i think the reason it made a difference is because he came on with, with, with that little time to go and that, that's his role. Mm-hmm. And he might come on and try to spark a bit of life into the team. But if he if he's going to be the starting number 10 now, which he probably is given Farrell's impending ban, yeah. then he's not going to be the difference because he's played for Brotherick at Leicester. He knows the system. He's going to kick the leather off the ball. He's excellent at the spiral bombs. So I don't think like we're going to see a massive change from England just because George Ford now is more is more likely to start. Like he mm. might throw it around a bit more, but he's going to stick to the Borthwick style of play. And I think that's what England have to focus on now. It's not pretty, but it's it's quite effective, and we have to admit that. Like when they did put up some of their kicks yesterday, they did regain the ball. It's a great way of making um, making territory. Um, but yeah, they've the, the, been my kind of overall thoughts. And yeah, looking at the bench that came on, especially in the front row, you'd have to look at the opposition. Uh, Jade, you wanted to say something as well? Yeah, I wanted to touch on Ginge. Um, but I can't agree that he made a difference. Maybe in the lose, but the guy mm-hmm. got a yellow card at scrum time. <laughs> and he was probably get a yellow card at scrum time. It's, you know, it's a red flag. Um, he got a yellow card for scrum jinx. So for me, um, there's still a lot of work he needs to do at scrum time. Coles, yes, um, came in with experience. You know, he, he's experienced, experienced it. But for Genge, um, I'm sorry, he needs to pull up his socks at scrum time for me if he wanted to be considered world-class. Okay, no, fair enough. I mean, how many props would get yellow-carded in that position of the field, in the middle of the field? How many penalties did did uh, England get at scrum time in that game? That was probably the first one, if not the second one, at least. So why would he get a yellow card in that situation? I'm just coming into his defense just for this particular conversation alone. I mean, what are your guys' thoughts of props getting penalized after what first or second warning in the spread in uh, in a in a scrum situation? Well, well, for me, 
especially this record, look at it as a low set because in the modern game now, um, there is a lot of pressure or focus on a low set, you know, in terms of not so much both, both, both in terms of collapsing, but in terms of the engine causing, you know, causing engine as it was penalized for engine yesterday. Mm-hmm. But for me, you want to set your dominance at, at scrum time. And you're looking at, I'm, I'm talking now of elite guys. I'm talking now, let's look at the top three loose heads in the world. Um, you would have to go to Groot, Kitsov, and uh, maybe Sorobai, you know, Portio yeah. um, is there as well. But those guys wouldn't do that. They would not make that mistake in that time of the game, especially when the game was in the balance. Now, Genji, for me, there's big, big talk about Genji. Brilliant runner on the ball, on the ball, brilliant in the loose. But I've seen a few times, I've seen it a few times where the guys buckled at scrum time. Yeah. And, and it's not even like he was scrumming against the Franz Malherbe yesterday or, you know, a Bamba or Antonio. He was scrumming against basically an inexperienced Welsh prop. Yeah. And he gave a, a cynical a yellow card, which started the downfall. You know, from there, Wales kicked out into the corner. They got advantage in the lineout, cross kick, another yellow card, and then after that, old Farrell happened. So they were that started the whole circus. For me, you, your basics and you relying as a player as well. If he's world class, he needs to do better. Um, he's he's really got to be the fundamental at scrum time. But is that you? You have to be. He has to be your pillar at yeah. scrum time. For so for me, I I'm, I'm really against it. I I really think that's it's unacceptable. Okay, fair enough. Anyone else want to chime in? I think the referee was quite consistent in that he, he sinned been Reffel as well for cumulative um, uh, infringements where it went over from Wales got a warning in the first half but the yellow card in the second half. And then I think yeah. uh, Genge got a penalty, sorry, got a yellow card on behalf of Marla who'd been uh, infringing before him. England have been trying to employ this tactic of stepping back in the scrum ahead of the hits to try and get a free kick for an early shove or to try and get um, the uh, opposition front row to just collapse, go straight to the ground. Um, referees normally in games kind of buy it for the first half and then wise up to it in the second half. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously it, it kind of got a bit unlucky. I will say specifically about this particular referee is that he is very, uh, a consistent trend of him is that he does give out a lot of cards and he does back himself into corners quite a lot in games. Um, It was the same when he did Wales versus South Africa in the summer tour a couple of years ago. He just, he tries to go big and go early with the yellow cards and he just ends up giving out half a dozen yellow cards in the game because it just gets, it spirals away away from him a little bit. So I think, you know, I'm not going to, argue about any of those particular decisions he made yeah but i think he just lets he kind of loses control of the occasion a little bit sometimes mm-hmm. by just trying to just go above and beyond what is required really not fair enough fair enough and you want to finish this one off yeah for me like i i see where he was coming from but for me i like to see a decision or sorry i like to see a ref make a decision like that and to penalize the team especially if they are like repeatedly infringing at scrum time. I do like to see a ref do that. Um, but I would like to see it kind of more early on. So like 
there are some refs though they 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 set their stall out at the beginning of games so the first scrum if there's an it they 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 don't just reset it they just blow the penalty immediately or they give a warning i like to see that 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 action from the outset and i think that that's what we need and that's what people want to see like i know it's difficult on the players um but it's certainly difficult on the audience as well watching constant resets so i i like refs to be decisive at scrum time and to make decisions early especially early on in games as well no fair enough and uh, sticking with you again uh earlier on when we started this uh, live recording of this podcast obviously we spoke about uh uh <clears throat> your favorite number 10 for Ireland uh Johnny Sexton but today, yesterday we saw another number 10 from England obviously copping a red um he has copped a red card before earlier on in the season i mean where to from here <laughs> with uh with Owen Farrell where do we go from here is he going to be part of this English side going into the World Cup, or does he sit at home and cops a six-week ban? I think they're going to take him. I mean, he is the captain, mm. so I think he has to go. Um, I think he's going to get a minimum five-game ban. He could get a six-game ban, but I'm sure they'll come up with some sort of mitigation and get it down to five. We know that he's not eligible apparently for um, the intervention, the the coaching program. Mm. Um, So I think it'll be five games which is good. Where does he go from here? I don't think he needs to learn his lesson, doesn't he? He obviously hasn't. Yeah. Uh, I did see an interesting thing on Twitter yesterday it was his first um red card for this type of offense in an international game which is interesting because we've all see, seen him how he tackles at a club game uh, and of course at, at international level but he hasn't been penalized before like this. Yeah, um it, it's disappointing on him personally, I'm sure, but he can only he only has himself to blame. I mean, it was completely reckless. He barely wrapped his arm if he, even if he did. It was it was a clear red. Again, it was, you know, for me, I know I, I brought this up last week, but it, it, it's another example of red cards not ruining games. It probably almost winning the game because you could argue that it just galvanized their squad. And um, like you should, you should have seen someone, I'm sure some of you noticed in some of their reactions <laughs> like when they won some turnovers that a rock time it really bothers me to be honest but it's where they scored it's a try yeah it's, it's and it's particularly the Saracens players like they react like they've won the world cup it's yeah. hilarious but it's I saw that. it's also incredibly yeah incredibly <laughs> fussy but i think Charles uh, in you know in a strange way his red card galvanized that that english team and probably mm. potentially led to their victory but the, the player needs to learn and and i think if he does get a six game ban he, he thoroughly deserves it And um, I mean, there are players, former players in their early forties, with early onset dementia. We have to take this issue seriously. Mm. And he has to learn lesson. Lesson: there are young people watching him play, and he's a role model, and he needs to get lower. It's as simple as that. No, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, he, he deserves the ban. Hopefully, it's six games, and hopefully, he learns from it because he's a great player. You know what I mean? And yeah, I just, I just hope he learns from it. But yeah, we'll see. Uh, Jay, do you want to jump in? Yeah, no, no, no. I agree with Ender there, hundred um, percent on the punishment. Um, you know, five to six weeks minimum. Um, you know, he created his tackling technique, created the stigma about him that he's become a villain in international rugby. So outside of England, he's, nobody really likes him because of his tackle technique. Unless he plays for the Lions and then more Welsh and Scottish and Irish guys would take a, a liking to him. But we forget that he's a world class player. Um, And it's unfortunate, you know, that his tackle technique has taken us away from him. I really think, you know, when does it stop? When somebody breaks the cheekbone, is that gonna is that gonna be when when it stops to Johnny Sexton? But yeah, six five to six weeks minimum. Fair enough, Hugh. I wanna I wanna bring this one back to you now again. England without Farrell, do they survive 
group uh what is it group c or d uh, the group D, group D, group, group D. D yeah. yeah. Well, it's interesting. Yeah, I don't want to give away my group D preview for when we get to that on the pod. No, but, just this particular um, pot. <laughs> yeah, Ing. So particularly to Farrell. So what we've seen with Farrell um, over the last, like, ever since he's made his England debut in 2012, is that England will find a way to get him on the pitch. Which is why we've seen him at 12. You know, for me, I think I don't agree with the people who say that George is a better fly half than. Um, so George Ford is better than Owen Farrell. I think yeah. Owen Farrell is a contender for England's greatest player of the of the professional era. Um, I think he's a bit like their Johnny Sexton figure or, or what Alwyn Jones used to be for Wales, is that the team with and without him it is, it is just it's night and day. I'd like to see the stats of games won and lost without Owen Farrell in it because... I think the last time England started a Six Nations game without him was when they got 50 put on them by France. Mm. Um, so I think he's just a huge character for them. And like uh, Ender said, he's, he's the captain, so he will go. It really it really puts a doubt over them beating Argentina for me. Um, and if they lose to Argentina, they then got some quite easy fixtures and then they've got a winner-takes-all game against Samoa probably in the last game of the pool stage on the last weekend mm. do, do England really want to be going into a game against a, a rejuvenised Samoa desperate mm. for a result that, without Owen Farrell that, that's, a, that's a thing to be nervous about no fair 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 enough fair enough alright gentlemen now moving on to the big one that took place last night uh, France and Scotland a lot of people tend to underestimate Scotland's um <clears throat> I don't know, promise or Scotland's uh, playing power or Scotland's attack or game plan whenever they get to play France. I mean, if you look at how these two sides have played over the last 10 match- matches, they faced each other. I mean, it's 5-0. Um, and, but, but that's by no fluke, all right, from the Scottish side, right? I mean, looking at the last four or seven games they've played, Scotland had once uh, four out of three and obviously, this is playing against this very, very good French team. And Gregor Townsend has had uh, a very, very good results against uh, this uh, French side. I mean, Enda, you got to you see the game last night. What are your thoughts regarding where France is and where Scotland is currently going into this World Cup? Let's start with maybe Scotland. I honestly think that Scotland can beat any team in the world on their day, if everything goes right for them. <laughs> but they're also notoriously um, inconsistent. Yeah. So, like, I don't think, like, I know, like, it was Guinea who came out recently and said they can win the World Cup. They will not win the World Cup. That is a fact. Um, Ireland, they're also in the group with Ireland, so we'll get on to that later. So, mm. but I think, I honestly do think that they've made massive strides. They're a really good team. and They're just inconsistent, but they, they will cause a few upsets, I think, um, in the World Cup. And, I mean, looking at that Russell's performance, he is just a joy to watch. Um, I know, Jade, we, you and I were speaking about this after the game yesterday. He just, he played out of his, not out of his skin, actually. He just put in a really good uh, performance yesterday. He put his body on the line. Like, the amount of late hits that went on, uh, that, like, it reminded me of how players or how teams target Johnny Sexton. Mm. Uh, but he just kept getting up. And, he, and I know he complained to the ref a couple of times as well, and the ref didn't take any action. But he mm. still just kept on. And, and I think it was... Maybe within the last five minutes of the game, he went for that intercept with Antonio running at him, and he won that 
not collision, but he gathered the ball. Like that is pure and utter bravery. Um, and so I think with him fit, Scotland can they can really cause an upset um, in this World Cup again. I don't think they'll go too far, but they are a very good side. I mean, the contrast of their style of play between them and England yeah. is just stark. Looking at some of the stats, like they they made two hundred and eleven passes yesterday. Yeah. England made one hundred and twenty seven. Like France only threw eighty eighty nine passes yesterday, um, which was just one lower than Wales had yesterday. Mm. So it, I, I think they're an absolute joy to watch. Um, yeah. I think Duhan van der Merwe, another excellent player. Um, yeah, I just, I really like them. I really like them. I, I think they're improving, but, but having watched them in the Six Nations over the years, I just know that they, <laughs> they're, they're too inconsistent to go the whole way. Um, and then touching on France, um, I think it was Vuyo, uh, who tweeted after the game that he doesn't see them winning the World Cup. Yeah, I actually do. think I agree with him, uh, because teams can score against them. And um, they, they really can. They're, they're an excellent squad. They, they don't play any ball in their own half and they're excellent on, on counter attack. They've got some, probably the best player in the world at DuPont. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're beatable and yeah. Ireland proved that. And um, I think New Zealand can beat them. I think South Africa can beat them. We know Scotland can beat them. Um, and for that reason, I don't think, but they're, they're obviously, they're in an excellent place. Like I can eat my words in a couple of months. Like they're, they're, they're an excellent side and uh, they could win it, but I actually, I don't see them winning the, the World Cup, but they're they're in a bloody well good spot. And let's just fingers crossed thing for everybody, for every fan. I hope uh, Entomax um, injury isn't as serious as some of the rumors that we've been hearing um, Ooh, today. Heavy, 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 heavy. Hey, eh? big calls, yeah, big calls. Jade, looking at France, obviously last week they played their third team. Uh, people are saying, or they played their second team or played half and half. And some people coming back from injury last week. This week, they put on their best side, actually. Almost like Steve Bothwick with England. They put on their best their best side. You can tell from watching that game that they haven't had a lot of uh, game fitness, uh, in, ver- in quote- quotation marks. Um, what are your thoughts looking at France and looking at how they can build from here going into, into that... Um, first game against the All Blacks? Like you said, the, the game fitness, that is the crucial thing. They, they, they're they not up to standard where they should be. I think they're three weeks behind and the World Cup starts in three weeks. Mm. Um, from yesterday, perspective from French angle, um, I think the line-out was good. Um, I think Waku is very underrated at line-out time. It doesn't seem like a, you know, a... White lock or a uh, Lothar Jager type player, mm. but he wins his lineup ball. You can mark him in the lineup. He still comes out and on top. He's very athletic. I really like what I see in him. Um, Aldrit as well yesterday. But from our French perspective, the attack, the way they attack and they play the game yesterday was in patches. Um, they showed moments of brilliance for like 10 minutes and then. You know, they couldn't keep that intensity again. They slacked a little bit, and that's all fitness. The big concern would be Intermark, uh, whether, you know, Intermark is, will be right for the World Cup. Um, Dupont is Dupont. Um, he is the best player in the world. Uh, we just saw it yesterday as well. He is, is unbelievable. Uh, Bendu is going to finish. If he's going to get a chance, he's going to finish. But the other concern for them yesterday, Dante also didn't look too well yesterday. I'm not yeah. sure how, how they go. And he's the bull in the midfield. He is something. I tweeted to somebody, well, I just messaged somebody yesterday after, um, during the game. I said, Dante's irreplaceable in this team. There's nobody in that squad that can do what he does in mm. that midfield. You know, that carries all, that gets over that vantage line the whole time. So I think from Gautier's perspective, 
He's a little bit nervous. Maybe, you know, guys weren't contact fit. Uh, maybe mm. they were fit, but not contact fit. And that there's a few needles in there that needs to sort out. Uh, but these guys need a few more eats together. Um, and then we'll see. Let's see against Fiji and Australia where they are. Yeah. I'm not going to judge him too much on yesterday. What they did in 10-minute patches was good. Um, they took the game away from Scotland early in the second half. They allowed them back into the game after that. But they'll be there and they're about for the World Cup. Fair, fair. Kofi, welcome from the wilderness. Uh, as a coach, Kofi, um, looking at Galtier's strat- strategy, um, resting a lot of his players last week, this week he wanted to start with his uh, <clears throat> with his first choice players. Is that a risk going into the World Cup with three weeks left? He's got Fiji, who are very hard, right? He's got Australia, who are also trying to get some Ws under their belt. Your thoughts on a strategic element of what Galtier is trying to do building up his team into this uh, first game against the All Blacks in the World Cup Yeah, good afternoon everyone, sorry for my late arrival, technical difficulties uh, It was. it's always interesting to to put the the interests of the team uh, in terms of getting wins uh, getting consistency running um, shape you know, in terms of the guys that you want to run that shape with, uh, as opposed to blooding guys that obviously haven't been first choice, um, it's always a fine line to toe. You know, if you if you win, you're good. If you don't win, you know, you you feel the wrath of the of the supporters and everybody that's that's invested in the game. So it's a fine line, really, to be quite honest. Personally, if I was Galti, I'd definitely go with. You know, trying to get as much game time as possible um, to those guys that, you know, are going to be playing, you know, especially in that first game, because that first game sets you up for the rest of the World Cup, effectively. Mm. Um, and I wouldn't worry too much about injuries because injuries, there's a 100% chance of injuries happen. You can't, you can't kind of wrap guys in cotton wool for too long because then you miss out on actually giving them the time they need to be match sharp and match fit. Yeah. So it's a fine line, like I said. You know, it's a, it's a very fine line. I think yesterday we saw, um, after Scotland took the lead in the first half, in the second half, uh, or late in the first half, you saw France kind of hitting their straps uh, into a 13-10 advantage. And then four minutes after half time, five minutes after half time, we saw... Um, some pretty like brutal French play and brutal in the sense that um, they got they got the ball, they moved it quickly, they played with intensity and speed, and in that four or five minutes they scored two wonderful tries that Scotland effectively couldn't live with. You know, um, I think at this moment in time, was probably letting them slightly down as, as conditioning and match sharpness, like you mentioned. Um, and once they get that, they can put more blocks, you know, uh, more sequences of, of what they did together, similar to what the All Blacks did in the first 15, 20 minutes against the Springboks uh, in the last encounter that they played. So that's what they're going to be looking for. You know, France, the thing about France is that it's a little bit hard to skelter, but there's method to that chaos, you know, there's method to that madness. They, they like chaos. They like DuPont getting that ball and shifting it quickly. Um, that's what makes him so great. He doesn't thrive off slow ball. He plays with quick ball. Ntermak also. Um, and so once you've got big centers who can move their feet 
uh, once you've got a big back row that can move their feet um, and move into space, it makes it very difficult for the opposition defense to sit quickly um, and negate them from from attacking at that speed. So uh, it's going to be interesting how they play against All Blacks. I think the team that's got more in their tank with regards to fitness, with regards to conditioning, because there's going to be big boys that are going to have to be moved around. Um, it's going to be a fast and frenetic start. And if the team that the team that can't hold on with regards to that consistency in speed and intensity won't be able to live through the match. Uh, what I liked about Scotland is that they hung in there. They hung in there for as long as possible, and that's what gave them an opportunity to sneak a win at the end. Unfortunately, that last three points got it home for, for, for France. But um, to be quite honest, I see them as good as probably as a Fiji, Scotland. Um, and there's far too many variables in terms of if they can and if this person plays well and these guys match up, etc., for them to do any real damage in terms of them going far in the tournament. But I do think they're going to spring an upset or two um, and cause damage to another team that might have hopes of winning the World Cup. Ooh. All right. Dream, dream killers is what we call them. All right, Hugh, your last uh, <clears throat> view and uh, obviously your opinion, what you think of France and Scotland uh, last night. Uh, I wouldn't read too much into it from a France point of view. It was pretty much their first game back, whereas Scotland were playing their second game as a 15 on the bounce by one or two changes, but I think it was a first-choice team both ways. I think if Untermack is out, I will be absolutely gutted. He's one of my favourite players, and I think we'll look back on the days and tell people that we watched Anton Dupont and Roman Untermack play together. Um, so if he's out, I think that's it. That's like... Um, Brazil missing Neymar for me. It's like it completely changes the complexion of the World Cup for them. From a Scotland point of view, you know, I have a saying, guys. It goes same old Scotland. Uh, after the game, everyone's waxing lyrical. Everyone's talking about how great their players are, how wonderful their fly halves are, how amazing their wingers are, how brave their set, their back rowers are. Yeah. And let's check the score sheet, guys. Let's check the trophy cabinet. You want nothing? <laughs> hey. You're ruthless, you ruthless, ruthless. All right, gentlemen. Okay, cool. That brings us to an end of this segment. Now we move on to the squads. Squads have come out. Uh, teams have been named. Uh, players have missed out. Players are still injured. There's still lots to dissect. Obviously, this could be quite a lengthy conversation. So let's try and keep it strict and straight to the point. Springboks have been named. All Blacks have been named. Wallabies were named as well. Argentina, England and Fiji. I don't know why England are the only side from the UK that has uh, actually named their side yet, actually. And Ireland haven't named their side. Welsh are waiting until the 21st, 21st of August. So basically, a lot of delays from the teams up north. Uh, but the teams down south have named their side. Um, when I start with you, Jade, the All Blacks squad is out. Any omissions for you that you think maybe someone else deserves a spot in that team, in that squad? No, 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 no. I think myself and you spoke about the squad a few times. I yeah. think maybe Bernard Weber for Funny Christie. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's the one. Um, if Ethan Blackadder was fit, I'm sure he would have been in that squad. Um, I'm sure, of course, he is New Zealand's base six. Uh, but other than that, I think the team is you know, chosen on form. I'm happy, very happy that he gave Narawa, you know, the nod ahead of uh, Stevenson. 
Um, they went with one extra back, but I think I know why they're going to do that. I think they're going to have a specialized winger on the bench and, you know, as part of the bomb squad um, scenario. But, yeah, I'm, I think that squad has been together through the championship. Um, they selected themselves, or maybe no bad Weber for Christy. Mm. That's all I can think of. And, obviously, Joe Moody's not fit, so that is why... Um, but, uh, what's Tamati. the guy's name? Um, Tamati or from or Newell? I can't get his name now. Uh, oh, hold on. Not, not Williams, the other one. Fletcher Newell. Newell. That's Fletcher Newell. Yeah. Because uh, Joe Moody's not fit, so that's why. But yeah, good squad. Um, they chose themselves. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Ender and Hugh, and then what are you guys' thoughts on the All Black uh, squad? Just, just one overall um, point I'd like to make. about. I don't understand why coaches have already named their World Cup squads. Like I mm-hmm. know you, you we touched on the beginning, like a lot of squads in the Northern Hemisphere haven't. I like there like as Kofi said, there are gonna be injuries, like you're guaranteed that. Yeah. And plus if you've got players trying to play into form, like give them that opportunity to to use these World Cup warm up games to to make because like, 'cause I'm sure there are there are, there are a lot of fifty fifty calls. So like why not give those players the chance to impress? Mm. Um but yeah, just, just one point I want to just get off my chest. Uh, yeah, for the All Blacks, I think it's as expected. Uh, it was nice to see Roy Gard um, act. Like it's, it's great to see a rookie like that given an opportunity to go to World Cup. Um, but yeah, for me, that's the only talk about maybe Weber being left out. But again, it's nice to see Roy Gard chosen in his place. I was watching MPC action on Friday morning here in Ireland, mm. and I was a bit mad seeing Brad Weber playing. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I think no real surprises for me for, for the All Blacks. Fair enough. Hugh and then Kofi. Um, I think not, not too many massive surprises. Obviously, D-Mac going in there again kind of um, throws back to the conversation we had the other week about they see Barrett formally as a fullback, and so D-Mac will be the second choice uh, fly half. Um, so, <laughs> I d- I, other than that, I don't know who um, Caleb Clark has got naked pictures of, but it's obviously someone high up. Because he's in there, despite having done about nothing in his All Blacks career so far. Um, and then the other thing, it's an old argument. It's not a new point, but I don't feel like Sam Kane is the guy. I'm not sure why he's still captaining the All Blacks at this point. He always seems to get pelters from All Blacks fans every time they play a game. Um, and I, I've never really seen him stand out in a game. So maybe off the pitch, maybe in training, he's the guy, he's the leader, he's, he's the talisman. But from the outside in, yeah, I, I maybe it was too late for them to change in this World Cup cycle. But I wonder how much longer he'll be the captain. <laughs> I think your cat also wanted wanted to chime in there for a second. Yeah, he's a very opinionated. It's because I slagged off Scotland, and he's a Scotland fan. <laughs> Kofi. Yeah, on Sam Kane, I think yeah, it's not a it's not a a new point like you mentioned. I think beyond this World Cup, uh, that that will be him done. Um, probably speaks well to the media arrives early at training last to leave packs up the shades afterwards you know does all the right things that the coaches like to see so it's the type of guy that you want as captain in terms of on the field I'm not so sure but we've seen many 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 examples of that uh, one guy I do feel bad for um, in terms of the all-back squad I think it happened a year ago against Australia Quinn Tupea um I'll always feel bad because I think when it happened, you just realized that this was an end of potential World Cup dream. Mm. And at the time, 
New Zealand was looking for a number 12 to play a particular role, which I guess they found now with Jordy Barrett. Um, but it's just like, you know, injuries like that, that could be prevented uh, through harsh rulings. Mm-hmm. Take somebody out of the world, <clears throat> you know, a year in advance, effectively. So guys like that, I, I feel definitely sorry for. But for the most part, I think, you know, that All Black squad kind of picks itself um, based on uh, the game design and the game model that the coaches want to play. Yeah. And I think that's been clear from the onset. They've always looked to to find guys to to pick the the holes that they want to 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 close. Yeah. Effectively. Um uh, they closed the hole at twelve. Um I think at thirteen they've they've got Rico there and they've got Anton Leonard Brown. Um in the locks obviously uh, Brody's a bit of a, an injury worry at the moment, but he should come good. He's had enough game time over the last year and a half to 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 operate at a high level. Um, so for the most part, you know, they mentioned Moody not being fit enough. I don't think it would have been uh, a good call to be there at this point in time. So for the most part, like I said, I think that All Black team picks itself. Um, and it's cool for coaches who are very clear in their identity mm. to be able to pick guys that you know, can fulfill a particular plan in the way that they're trying to play. So it'll be very interesting to see over the next eight or nine weeks. You know, very interesting indeed. Very interesting indeed. Now we move on to the Springboks. I mean, there's been a lot of talk. There's been a lot of trends. Even my pimpy was trending over <clears throat> over the past week since uh, everyone in on Twitter or Springbok fans had their own opinions about Mapimpi going to the World Cup. Kofi, I'm still, I'm going to stick with you again on this one. Uh, Mapimpi has, is going. Moody is also going. They've chosen four scrum offs for this particular World Cup, obviously. Lukanyo Arm is still injured. Uh, Andre Pollard is still injured. Joe Stronsky came out today saying, yeah, um, Mani Libok hasn't been tested at the big stage. We need to see how good he, how good he is at the big stage in terms of kicking. I mean, what are your what are your opinions or what are your views regarding the Springbok squad that's been selected? And obviously, how do you see them performing throughout uh, this uh, tournament, uh, the World Cup tournament in France? Yeah, um, I think first of all, like. Based on the the, the the personnel that they had available, is it the strongest possible squad that they could have taken? I think so. I think you know here you're faced with the conundrum of having your best available players who can fit the mold in a fifteen or twenty three, instead of looking at specialized people in particular positions. Faf is definitely going, obviously as a first choice come off, but also as probably your third choice number ten. Mm. Um, he also fulfills goal-kicking responsibilities as well should um, Mani go down. Yes, we agree that Mani hasn't been tested at the highest level with regards to his goal-kicking, for sure. What's the point of saying something like that as a, as a former Springbok great, you know? Mm. What's the point of saying things that are negative where you should actually be boosting and should probably be more positive in your assessment of Mani Lebok and how he's performed over the last two seasons, two and a half seasons, you know. I don't like statements like that. I don't like 
you know, respect for Joel and what he's achieved, etc., in his career and his punditry. But I don't like um, negative or negative feeling comments like that. I think yeah. it's got more problems than than solutions um, with statements like that. Um, so I think it's 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 the strongest possible Springbok squad that they could have picked. The conundrum here is just playing guys as utility um, instead of their favorite positions. Now, that can work against you and it can also work for you. Mm. It's got a higher probability of working against you if you don't have the specialists in those positions um, playing there on a regular basis. When you've got to make changes, you've got to rest guys, and you've got to bring guys, then I think you can put uh, your utilities in those positions. So I do worry for the Springboks in terms of how far that they'll go. Um, I do worry about the planning that has happened, but you know, like you said earlier, every coach has got their planning methods. Every coach has got um, their method to their madness. So hopefully, yeah. for the Springboks, uh, the planning that's gone on will prove to be successful, whatever the measure of success is. Fair. I don't want to let you go yet. Dion Fury has been chosen as a utility over. Uh, who's this guy? Joseph Dweber as well, right? For, so he can alternate flank and hooker. Would you have gone Dion Fori or would you have gone Joseph Dweber? Since you know that the hooker position is quite a crucial one, according to world rugby standards as well, right? You need to have extra number of props on the bench. You have to, you need to have extra number of hookers or people that can play in the front row regarding the law. I mean, having Dion Fori there, I mean, what are your thoughts? Uh, before I move on to the other guys. Yeah, I think it's tricky. I think it's really tricky. Um, Dion has played hooker before. Uh, he started off his career mostly at the Stormers as a hooker. So I'm unsure of how many games he's played there and how often he's trained there mm. uh, in the last two or three years. Um, I think you've got to use that data uh, sample um, in order to make a decision like that. And obviously they're comfortable with it. Mm. Um, you've also got to look at the throwing mechanics between Derba and and Dion, Dion was never was never a hundred percent thrower. Yes. Um, all those years back, Tian Liebenberg, for what he didn't give in terms of what Dion gave, was a better thrower in the lineout. So they were more consistent with him in his mm. selection. And I'm not sure if his consistency has remained or if it's waned or if it's gotten better. Um, however, you know, you've also got to look at Sia Colisi and not being hundred um, percent and looking at options within that that scenario so obviously Dion covers two positions and he covers them quite well um, so it's, it's a very valuable guy in the squad to have and then obviously you look at you know the role that the Springboks like to have with the older guy in the squad um, just ensuring that you know things are kept uh, light but also understanding that the older head plays his role in terms of motivating the guys to play and to perform at, at the level that they, they they need to perform. Last year they had, or the last the last World Cup they had um, Skulk Brits. Yeah, um, they had a few of them in the World Cup before who actually played a lot more time. Um, so you can just go down the the, the 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 team list of the Springboks at the World Cup, and you always find you know an oldish guy that's there that's not necessarily going to be playing a lot of minutes, but. He's got a role to fulfill with regards to that, you know, and it's it's, it's out of game type situation if that makes sense. Setting the tone in team morale, uh, Hugh, and then Ender. 
Yeah, I think with the the four scrum halves thing, you know, we're all so used to the the conspiracy theories with Eddie Jones and Razzie that we're thinking, oh, there must be something going on. There's some grand plan that we don't know about, that one of these scrum halves is magically going to turn into Andre Pollard. He's going to pull his mask off or something. But, yeah, so I'm still yet to hear the exact logic on that. I think what's interesting for me is that um, Williamson being uh, named as the second fly half when we spoke about it on the pod previously and we think he's going to be more used as a 15 or mm-hmm. coming off the bench as the man in the 23 jersey. So I think yeah. that's interesting. We haven't really seen Leboc and Vili Roux play together too much. Mm-hmm. Is Vili Roux going to overrule Leboc maybe with his seniority and his preferring to be the playmaker? That's something to see. Maybe yeah. that's a combination they'll try against Wales. Um, other than that, I, I agree with what was said earlier from the guys. I think it is the best squad that you had available to you. Although nine players on the standby list, that sounds a bit like you're having a 42-man squad to me. You know, are they staying in the next hotel along or something? You know, that that I would be shocked if we don't see at least two or three of those standby players playing in the quarterfinals. Ah, they'll be in France eating croissant and. Uh... Yeah, just to start this, my comments off with just a special mention for Jean Klein. I think it's really, it's great to see him in the squad. After being left out of the Irish squad, he's been in absolutely excellent form for Munster. Uh, I don't um, find an Irish person who will shut up about John Klein. Oh my God. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, just special mention for him. It's great to see him there. Um, and then just touching on the four scrum halves. Um, I know you you were looking for an explanation there. I know Brendan Nell, who's a journalist in South Africa, did uh, put up some interesting clips on YouTube uh, with an interview with Nina Bar. And apparently, yeah, so so it's just to do with it's a like as he described it, it's a numbers game on Pollard. So he's he's only done two full training sessions, and mm. um, so for the Springbok management, he's just not in a position to. So he's over his injury, like he's allegedly he's completely over his injury, but he's only done two full training sessions. So for them. He doesn't essentially have enough time to play himself into enough form, and um, so that's what it sounds. And I think that that sounds logical, and that, and that's where the the fat um, piece comes in for me. Like he he can play ten, so he's the the third choice there. Um, and for me, that that's really a testament to to Libok's form as well. So let's just, uh, as Kofi said, like let's not be negative about Libok. It's for me, he's he is the guy to go. He's ready. He's in form. Look at his um, his performance in the URC this 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 past season. He's ready. Let's back him and let's see what he can do on the big stage. Um, so yeah, there are my kind of thoughts just on the, on the four scrum maps. And also, he did mention that Grant Williams can play wing. So um, yeah. you've got that that versatility there. Um, which yeah, overall, not not too many surprises for me. Obviously, I think just touching on the the two the two hooker situation. Obviously, that's a bit of a gamble, but I'm sure it's a well calculated one. Um, for the Springboks management, um, I feel for Dweva because I'm a massive URC fan. I think he gets a lot of stick for allegedly being a bad line-out thrower. I don't think yeah. he's as bad as people say he is. Um, looking at his stats from last season in the URC, he had the second most successful line-outs um, of all teams, of all um, teams in the, in the URC. So for me, yeah, he gets a lot of stick for his throwing, but he's, he's, it's actually, when you look at the statistics, he's not a bad thrower. Mm. Um, he really isn't, and he's a great ball carrier. So I feel for him, but yeah. I'm sure the, the Springboks management know a lot more than I do. Yeah, no, fair enough, fair enough. Um, Jade, two week, uh, last, actually not two weeks ago, last week we touched on Moody versus Mapimpi. 
uh, a lot of the guys in the panel now currently are talking about versatility. You as an all-black fan, you understand a lot about versatility. I'll remind you, 1999, versatility. Players moved out of position and playing different position. Kofi spoke about specialists in positions uh, are quite critical at World Cup time. Uh, your thoughts, firstly, on the whole versatility element in terms of having players playing out of position or natural position and then after that your thoughts on the Springbok squad that's been selected <laughs> so the versatility thing really came to me because I was thinking now when you were speaking of you know the backup at 10 with Damien Willemsa being uh, second choice and guys is putting clips or, or thoughts on social media of Kobe can play 10 and Faf can play 10 and X, Y and Z can play 10 because yeah. he played 10 at 10, grade 9 but you're going to World Cup guys and you're in a tough pool um, if you haven't played in the position and you're going to play against Scotland or Ireland or even stronger, they're going to find you out. I, I believe New Zealand in 1999 and in 2003. Yeah. They just got Cullen at 13. 2003, Tarang got injured. They moved Leon McDonald to 13. And it was the biggest downfall. Mm. I don't like... I believe the game is like this now where specialists need to play in a specialist position. And if you're not a specialist, you end up being like Damien Willemser and like um, Damien McKenzie, for example, where you automatically uh, assume there's an impact player. You don't, you don't find a position in the starting team, but they put you on the bench because you can cover certain roles and you become a finisher. Yeah, look, I don't like the volatility thing. Deal I can agree with. Um, to touch an end of there, we did state that, you know, um, Joseph Weber did well in lineouts. That is why I believe that Marvin Ori is my starting five lock now. Just look at what Dion, um, not Dion Fury, Joseph Weber's lineouts, um, improved in the UFC. And that's because of Marvin Ori runs the lineouts for the Stormers and he's been doing it brilliantly. So I believe he starts at five ahead of Franz von Mostert. Um, then, yeah. I also be in terms of versatility, I will agree. Dion Fury makes sense to an extent that CA is not 100% fit and he is a specialist six that can start at six any day. Yeah. You know, it will be between him and ESCOM if um, CA is not fit. But my, here's my concern. My big concern with this Bok team, and I would love Thurlow Peterson to, to jump in on this. I would love him to jump in on this. We chose five props. Two specialists lose heads, two specialists tight heads, and Trevor, they can cover both. What mm. happens if somebody has a niggle, Ox has a niggle going to the World Cup? What happens if somebody gets a week or two weeks suspension early on in the tournament? You can't replace him. And I have another prop that's injured and carrying a niggle. That's dangerous. I still believe that instead of taking four scrum offs, they should have taken six props. Oh, heavy. Thelo, you're going to jump in just now. Hugh, and then Thelo. TP. Yeah, so I think it's... A, I completely with, um, agree with Jade that what he's saying about versatility, you know. Just because a player can play in a position doesn't necessarily mean it's a good idea for them to do it at a, at a World Cup. You know, I'll give you an example. In the Champions Cup semi-final, Toulouse against Leinster, um, one of Toulouse's centres went down injured. Now, Toulouse had gone with a 6-2 uh, a split on the bench. Mm. So they didn't have a replacement centre, so they brought on a 9. And you think, oh, that's OK. So they brought on 9, they moved Dupont out to 10, they moved Intermac out to 12, and I think they might have moved a centre out to the wing as well. So that 
when you have that kind of oh players are versatile it's not just one change it's a change to multiple positions because you have to move other guys around to accommodate them and yeah. it might work in like a pool game against one of the tier two nations who you would you know regardless of what team put you put out you would expect to beat them if you're getting into a quarterfinal or semi-final and you've got someone who's normally um, a center playing fly half or you've got someone who's normally a winger filling in a fullback that's not a position you want to be in and it leaves you extremely vulnerable and you know uh, I listen to I listen a lot to a guy called Ben Darwin who works yeah. for Game Line Analytics and he talks about cohesion and he made a point in a podcast with Raw um, lately yeah. when it comes to like the 70th minute of a World Cup game and it's a knockout and you're under pressure and you're a let's say you're a 7 playing at 8 in a clutch situation are you going to react like a 7 or are you going to re- react like an 8 you're going to react like a seven. Um, you don't want to be in a position where you've got guys playing out of position in the clutch moments, in my opinion. Oh, 100%. Well said there, Hugh. TP, Jay just posed a question to you, and I believe you have all the answers. I mean, <laughs> I think Jay is trying to, to test me here. Um, <laughs> why did you, I mean, the, for me, the whole Springbok selection and leaving players out, nine players on standby, Five props, four scrum offs. I think that's that's Rashi playing games with everybody's emotions. Um, he loves it. He loves for it. Um, but I mean, I agree with the five props. Um, a very hard call to make. Um, to have that much faith in the guys that you have, that you won't even pick up one injury. Um, yeah. So I think either Rashi and them are, are rolling the dice because we all know that Rashi's in charge of that ship. Jock is just there. Um, as a promoter, but um, <laughs> I think for me also, Jade, that's a, that's the most interesting call to have only five props, but you've got so many backs um, in your squad when the backs that you do have are good enough. I think Mapimpi is very lucky. I think Mapimpi is in um, because Amli's out, um, in my honest opinion, because I think Moody, in terms of what he can produce. I think he's he's been top class for the Springboks ever since he's made it. So it's going to be interesting to see what the next couple of weeks um, are going to look like, especially with regards to the Springboks, because I think they're currently the most question marks lie with regards to what they're going to look like when the World Cup starts and when it gets to, to quarterfinal time. Okay, not fair enough. All right, gentlemen, uh, we're not going to touch into Eddie Jones and Argentina and Fiji, but we just know and we are aware of uh, their squads. Before we run out of time, I mean, we only have another five minutes left. We've got Group B, the most spoken about group of this World Cup. The discussions have been there. Everyone has, has shared their own opinions. We saw what Scotland can do uh, last night. So now everyone is kind of wary because everyone thought South Africa, Ireland are going straight in. We've seen what Scotland can do in Six Nations against Ireland as well. So, Ender, your team is there, Ireland. I'm going to start off with you. What are your thoughts with regarding to this group? Who's the wooden spoon? Who finishes first and second? And why? First, it's going to be Ireland. Um, because... We could beat. We have beaten the Springboks. We beat them last year, um, so we know how to do it. Um, we know them inside out, I think. And I just think 
with our style of play, um, we can move the ball around and we can definitely get around them. I just think we can we can outsmart the Springboks. Uh, what a risky thing to say. Uh, I really almost regret saying that. <laughs> I think South Africa will come second. Oh, sorry. Another reason yeah, why Ireland will, will top this group is, yeah, Scotland can beat anyone on their day, as I said earlier. Mm-hmm. But Ireland's record against Scotland speaks for itself. We will beat Scotland in the World Cup. I can almost guarantee you that. Um, just because, yeah, we just know how to beat them. Um, I think South Africa will come second. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I listened to, uh, I forget his name, um, a, a South African journalist who did say that he suggested that South Africa are really targeting that Scotland game. Um, because if obviously if you guys beat Scotland, then you're essentially like you can afford to lose against Ireland. Um, and then you, you'd back yourself against either France or New Zealand in the quarterfinals. And I think that, that sounds like pretty sound logic, and I think not not to say that the, the Springboks would put out a second string squad against Ireland, hmm. but I just think they'll really target the Scotland game. They'll they'll beat Scotland. Um, they could easily beat Ireland, but I don't think they will. Um, and then yeah, Scotland to finish third, Tonga to finish fourth, and Romania to be the wooden spoon. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, they don't look like they're in a good place if you're looking at their most recent yeah, yeah. Um, results. But yeah, like, I'd <laughs> be completely wrong. Who knows? Maybe Ireland won't even make it out of the group. But I just think on form, Ireland are theoretically the number one team in the world. And I do think they are for a good reason. Um, so yeah, that, that's how I see it going. I'm sure there'll be a few. Uh, I'm sure somebody will have some uh, thoughts to share with me. Stand your ground, mate. Stand your ground. Hugh, there seems to be there seems to be a bit of match fixing quotation marks guys quotation marks I'm not saying it's real there seems to be a bit of match fixing if we beat Scotland first we can afford to lose against Ireland would the Springboks throw away a game against Ireland or will it all depend on what happens in group A as well but anyway your thoughts on group B uh, I would say that it doesn't matter whether you finish first or second in this group I think New Zealand or France in France are equally difficult games um, so I don't think there's any kind of gamesmanship required. Mm-hmm. My only kind of point that I want to make about Ireland versus South Africa is, does South Africa's change kit still clash with <laughs> Ireland's first kit? Because I think it might. So that would mean that Ireland have to play in their change kit and uh, South Africa play in their normal home kit. Now, you might say, oh, that's a bit of a superficial thing. There is statistical evidence that shows that teams perform worse in rugby in their change kit, particularly international level, when you hardly ever wear it. So that that could have a material effect. So I would say whoever's playing in their change kit in that game loses. That's my prediction. <laughs> I just want to mention the other teams in the pool. Yeah. So you got Romania and you got Tonga. So um, Romania got absolutely thumped by Georgia yesterday. Yeah. Uh, and they lost to USA as well, and USA aren't at the World Cup. So unfortunately, based on what I've seen so far, I think Romania could be the whipping boys of this group, um, and it will be about how many points you can score against them. I don't want that to be the case, but that looks like how it might be going. Um, and then with Tonga, everyone's really hyped about Tonga, about how many All Blacks they've gotten back and how many couple of Wallabies as well. Yeah. Um, they they were quite poor in the Pacific Nations. So they beat Canada midweek. Canada suck, so that doesn't really matter. Um, and they beat Australia A. Um, Australia first team sucks, so Australia A are even worse. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, Tonga, unfortunately, they're, they're, they're all blacks that they've got back just aren't clicking for them at the moment. Yeah. Um, so I think uh, Tonga probably to beat Romania. But I think all the people who got excited about Tonga maybe beating Scotland, uh, I don't think Scotland have got to worry mm. about that game, to be honest, unfortunately. So, number one, who finishes top of that group? <laughs> Can it be a draw? No. Uh, <laughs> Who number finishes one, on top of that group? Ireland, number two, Springboks. Fair enough. A wooden spoon, Romania, that's clear. I think, I mean, Tonga having players back, uh, the All Blacks, uh, former Wallaby players, I think it's good for morale as well. I think you'll also bring uh, bums on seat at stadiums. But in the general sense of, of things, in the terms of looking for the future, I don't know how much more games will these guys get post-World Cup. All of them will go back to the UK. All of them will go back to France or wherever the other others are playing. I don't know. We need to look, we need to find a way to keep those guys playing for those nations for a longer period and also clicking. I mean, then you would look at Group B in a different sense if these guys have been playing together for five years, right? You'd be looking exactly. at Group B and thinking, my God, we don't know who the hell will finish on top of this group. But yeah, that's a conversation for another day. Kofi. Group B. Well, the Tonga guys are injured, eh? Who? I uh, heard this morning that um, Israel Folau oh. out of the knee injury. And, uh, yeah, he didn't Tonga play in situations. No, oh, that's bad. Is uh, 50-50 <laughs> in terms of making the either the first or the second game of the tournament. Salesi Puta. So oh. those are two of their bigger names. Yeah. And you wonder how how much that might affect. At the same time, I'm, I'm personally of the opinion that though you need stars, once you rely too much on your stars, you don't give the same kind of responsibility to other lesser known players, if I can put it that way. So it might just make them gel a little bit more. It might then play a little bit better. Yeah. It might then have to have shared responsibility in how they play. So yeah, let's see. Sorry, your question. Yeah. Group B, who finishes top, who finishes second, and who's the wooden spoon? Is that the South that Africa, the South Africa, Ireland, Scotland, Tonga, Romania? Um, can I tell you? <laughs> I think I'm waiting. Who? South Africa. I'm going. I'm going. One. Mm. And the settled squads, I'm going Ireland, one. And between two and three, I'm going Scotland. Not because I feel like Scotland is going to beat South Africa. I don't think that's going to be the shootout. I think that within that whole scenario, I feel as though um, Ireland may... Sl- I think this group is a lot closer than we think. Mm. I think Ireland may may slip up somewhere along the line and Scotland might take advantage. I think South Africa could potentially slip up against Ireland. Scotland takes advantage. Um, and then obviously Scotland, uh, having performed so admirably yesterday and the week before, I think there's something growing there. I think there's a culture of never giving up mm. that's growing, which is so much needed in the World Cup. Um, and... Yeah, I don't know who's going to take that second spot, to be quite honest. So let's go Ireland, South Africa for now. 
but just watch Scotland, please. <laughs> They're going to be everyone's favorite team. Romania might catch an 80 here and a 100 there and maybe 120 in one of the other games. You never know. But they're going to catch a lot of points, those guys. So they are your wooden spoon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, all right. Fair enough. Jade, Group B, your thoughts? Uh, guys, I don't know. Top two. I think the South African old boys, um, they'll end third. Um, that's Scotland. I think they'll end third. I don't think they'll... They break into the top two. I don't think they have the squad to go deep because I do believe that Tonga, although this World Cup came a year too soon for the whole eligibility rules in terms of getting a squad together, but they're going to be physical and it's going to be casualties after that Tonga game. So I don't think Scotland has the squad because they will rotate against Tonga, but I don't think they have the squad to to win both, um, to win South Africa and Ireland. I think Romania will be the wooden spoon in. Tonga will target the Scotland game. If it does click on the day, we could see a surprise. But what I've seen from it so far, there's still no continuity. It's all basically what's the story of putting swifts, round holes, in, or square pigs in round holes. And there was, there's no real continuity there. So I think they'll in fourth, Scotland third. Oh, I'm going with Ireland to win it, to win the group. I'm going with Ireland just <laughs> get of the box. I'm just going because I still believe that um, Ireland, the team, they, they know how to play. They, they, will, they will stick to what they know best. And I mean, they are the number one team in the world. It could change, but Ireland, South Africa, Scotland, Tonga, Romania. <clears throat> That's my order. Ah, fair enough, fair enough. And last but not least, eh, our ex- Extremed guests, TP. Ah, is TP yeah, gone? I'm, Cooking. I'm giving. I'm definitely giving Scotland a chance. I think. Uh, I think they'll get better. Or oh, I'm actually hoping because I love running rugby. I hit box kicks and long kicks and kick chase. Um, yesterday, I actually switched off the England Wales game because that just. Or the living Ella to me. So I'm giving Scotland the chance. Um, ball in hand with Finn Russell. Anything is possible. Yeah. Um, I think the box are going to struggle without Ahmed 13. I think he's, from a defensive point of view, he's been their defensive leader. Yeah. Um, Faf is going to work his ass off and I think somewhere he's going to slip up and I think that's going to count into anybody's favour that plays against them. True. Um, so, yes, this is a difficult group to call. Because defensively, I think the box are just going to look a lot different than what they did before. I, I know they'll work hard with Jesse Grill at 13, but from a in play intelligence point of view, I don't think he lives up to what Am offers. Yeah. That being said, sure, but yeah, so I'll go cheapest. I'll go Island 1. Yeah. Um, I think the box will just, just sneak in a second spot. Um, and hoping that Amor recover and they'll get an injury for the quarterfinal against the All Blacks. Um, and then, yeah, wooden spoon <laughs> is a standard, standard procedure. Romania's gonna, 
Yeah, they're just going for a four-week holiday. That's about it. <laughs> yeah, it's winter. It's going to be winter or autumn this side. So, I mean, it's a terrible holiday to go on to. But anyway, gents, we've come up to the end of the installment. Thank you once again to Enda, Hugh, Kofi, Jade, uh, TP. Thanks for joining us once again. And thanks to the listeners, gents. Uh, thanks, Alan. Thanks, Alessandro. Um, Thanks, Pippa, and the rest of you guys as well. See you guys next week, Sunday, when we look at Group C and obviously take <clears throat> look after the breaking news, headlines, uh, anything that's going on around rugby as well. Next time, gents, don't feel bad. You can just put up your hand. We can also uh, let you guys join into the conversation. We like to have a bit of a debate as well. But yeah, uh, another installment done. Thanks once again for listening in. Yeah, I'll, I'll put up the recording on my timeline. And uh, if you guys want to listen to what was being spoken about earlier or you missed out some other things as well, uh, you feel free to listen to that. Or you can also find us on Spotify. Um, all our podcasts we've had before are all on Spotify. This was a live recording. Thanks once again for joining the Scoop Rugby Podcast. Cheers, guys. Have a wonderful Sunday.